This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back, guys. DGS on KMOX. Pretty day out there. Happy Tuesday. My next guest is Jana Monroe. She's the author of Hearts of Darkness, Serial Killers, The Behavioral Science Unit, and My Life as a Woman in the FBI, 22 Years with the Bureau. Um, she is, uh, as I understand it, was the inspiration for the character of Clarice uh, in Silence of the Lambs. She joins us now. Jana, thank you so very much for being with us. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Dave. It's, it's my honor to be here. So uh, just a little connection between the two of us. Um, I, for, uh, I don't know, 13, 15 years, have been a part of the FBI Citizens Academy. And uh, this last summer, we went to uh, D.C. and Quantico. I took my daughter, who is now a freshman at KU, and nothing is for sure, but she's in a program to go to law school and possibly follow in your footsteps. So I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, that is very cool. And I, uh, the Citizens Academy is near and dear to my heart. I was one of the ones that helped start that years ago, and, and I think it's been a great program. So I have a gazillion questions, but I'm just going to ask you to tell us your story, and we'll jump in where we need to. It's just such a fascinating story. Um, okay, where would you like me to start? Like when I joined the FBI? Yeah, sort of like when you when start when you developed this special interest and this special skill of yours and how you developed it. Okay, well, I had my special interest. I guess uh, I'll, I'll just start quickly. When I was 13 years old, uh, unlike most kids, I knew what I wanted to do and never wavered from that. I wanted to um, defend the fact that we're a nation of laws and liberties. I wanted to help with that balance of equilibrium. And I hate bullies. I hate people who pick on others and take advantage of them. So law enforcement was kind of my calling. Um, And although I'm not 105 years old, but when I went to uh, find out about joining the FBI, women were not allowed uh, to be agents. Um, And the the FBI guy at the uh, recruiter station said I could be a secretary or a file clerk. I didn't want to do either. So police departments were hiring, and I just felt that that would be good um, experience for me so I could be hopefully competitive in the FBI. So I, I did. I joined the FBI, went through the academy at Quantico like everybody else. I was a field investigator but always kept in mind that I wanted to work in, uh, well, it was then the newly created behavioral science unit. And um, the behavioral science unit, for people who don't know, it, it was kind of, it's been highlighted not only in a, old movie called Silence of the Lambs, but also, uh, and today more currently, uh, Criminal Minds or, or Mind Hunter. And so I was the first female in that unit. Uh, I had 
11 wonderful, and I mean that seriously, um, male counterparts. But our work was specifically giving a standard traits and characteristics, what we more commonly call a profile. Mm -hmm. And then uh, looking at maybe um, interview techniques, uh, certain things as if there was link analysis, meaning there were crimes that looked like they, you know, post-mortem activity, stabbing, evisceration, obviously not your common things for murder. Uh, Looking to see if maybe the same offender had had committed all of these crimes. So we did a, a variety of services for local law enforcement who were the first responders on these hideous crimes. I, I just, uh, I, I kind of knew the history, having just, you know, gone to D.C. and heard the history, but I can't believe that I'm talking to someone who wanted to be an agent, and they said, why don't you be a secretary? That's crazy <laughs> yeah. that it's been that recent. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, to, to really young people, it doesn't seem that recent, but it is very recent, and all of other federal agencies had, were hiring women at that time. So um, the, the FBI really needed to, to get on board with that. And, and I think after they did, uh, it, it worked out to be a valuable liaison with us all. But, yeah, they were a little behind the times. So if you're just joining us, we're talking to uh, to Jana Monroe, the author of Hearts of Darkness, uh, the inspiration for Clarice on uh, Silence of the Lambs and has an expertise in serial killers and profiling. So we're just going to kind of jump into it here, Jana. So, um I guess, okay, I'm just going to ask what I want. I'm going to stop trying to sound smart to you. Um, So is it when you look at a particular profile uh, and and then you now you've looked at two, now you've looked at 22. Does it seem that there are more commonalities between these people or are they really so very distinct that you kind of have to start over every single time? No, I don't think you start over every single time. There are some commonalities, and I think uh, – I don't want to use the word beauty because that's really an oxymoron, but that is why it is advantageous. Uh, when Being in the unit, I looked at over 850 homicide cases, and fortunately, if you worked in a police department or sheriff's office, you're not going to look at that many. So by just the aggregate of looking at things over and over again, you do start to see pattern analysis not only in the crimes themselves, but whoever the offender was that committed them, there are some similarities. Yeah. So here's a weird one. Uh, I used to be an attorney before I, I did this uh, as, as a job. And for a while I was a divorce attorney. And I couldn't even go to weddings because I felt like everyone is getting divorced. <laughs> I, I had a friend who was an oncologist and I told him that. And he said, oh, Dave, I, I, everyone I meet, I feel like they have cancer. Did that ever spill over for you that you'd go to a dinner party and you meet someone and you're like, mm, I don't know about this guy? I'm only laughing because I think that is so true. Yes, I I, I look at it as an occupational hazard. You start getting, I don't know if it's tunnel vision uh, or what it is, but I would definitely do that. And I'd have to, like, have a little soliloquy and going, no, 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 not everybody's like that. Or just because someone's, you know, you're getting weird vibes from somebody. Let's not go to the dark side. Yeah. So I'm a nerd about brain things, and uh, I don't know nothing about it officially. But, uh, like, I'm a musician, and I have friends who seem to have just come out of the womb able to be a virtuoso. And I have to believe that that's just something different about their brain that, that myself and this person could sit in the same room and practice the same amount of time and they would just be worlds ahead of me. Do you think there's anything like that when it comes to uh, serial killers or people capable of murder in general that they just were born with a bad brain in some way? Not that it's not their fault, but that that's a part of it. 
you know, I'm, I'm not, you can't see me, but I'm laughing at that because that's the multi-trillion dollar question that kind of leads to nurture or nature. But this is my opinion. Um, I believe in what they used to call like a bad seed. So, yes, I'm going to say what you are. There are people that have a proclivity to that. And I, I wish we, the collective we, people who study this, uh, could determine that if there is that seed or there is that tendency proclivity, is there a way in nurturing that could actually change that behavior? Uh, I, I think we are miles away from learning that. This may seem like a strange question, so hopefully it's not, because um, I'm not afraid to sound dumb. By the way, this is Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't just get a yeah. much deeper voice. <laughs> He's just starting to impress you. Um, yeah. <laughs> The the exposure, uh, and maybe that's not the right term, but the the increased profile of the behavioral science unit has, what, grown exponentially in the last 10, 15, 20 years. I would assume at the beginning there weren't TV shows about it and movies about it and books about it. And as Dave mentioned about his daughter, my daughter also was looking at that when she was coming out of high school and going into college and chose not to pursue that route. But a lot of kids are into that. Is that exposure to the, the unit ultimately a net good because you're getting candidates and interest or is there a potential downside that with the more coverage people who do bad things may understand more how to get around things Uh, there's always that danger there really is even when i look at shows that aren't about that specifically the more information that's given about dna i mean a lot of people look at forensic files and some of the other shows Mm -hmm. like that that are more yeah that aren't in just entertainment and of course that's going to provide information but i look at it as a positive thing to what you mentioned previously, you're going to expand that candidate pool of people that are very qualified or people that have the tenacity uh, and the right mindset to do the job. So I look at it predominantly on the upside. Jana, who are some of the uh, the names that we may know, people who you investigate or may have been in the same room with as far as the, the, the killers? Yeah, so that's a good point. So those that are more notorious, because um, unfortunately there are thousands more that don't have a name recognition. Um, Edmund Kemper is one. Um, Jeffrey Dahmer I did not get to. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know if that's the correct word to say. He was killed two days before I was to go and interview him. Uh, prison justice, as they called it, he was killed by an, an inmate. So I did not get to uh, be in the same room with him. Um, Ted Bundy, I did a lot of work on that case. Uh, uh, I think, unfortunately, most people know Ted Bundy's name, prolific serial killer, and hardly anybody knows yeah, knows uh, the victim's names. And probably nobody would really know Oba Chandler, um, which I know they have done some um, television on him, but he was a serial killer that killed uh, the Rogers, Joan, uh, Michelle, and Christy Rogers, which was just a horrific case in Tampa, Tampa Bay, Florida. So, uh, Jana, it's my understanding that that Kemper has like a 160 IQ and that Ted Bundy was also very bright. Does that seem to have been overall most people who do this, uh, at least are not complete idiots and some of them are, 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 are geniuses possibly? Oh, yeah. And in fact, that was one of the misnomers where so many people like to think of him like it. And I'm going to use Charles Manson as an example, because he actually looks scary, right? And, and yeah. sounded weird. And so people would think, oh, that'd be great, because then you can identify him. You see him coming at you, and you'd probably turn around and go the other direction. But that's not that's not how most are. And Ted Bundy, you want to use the word charming. Um, he was extremely charming, articulate, by most people's standard, standards, good-looking. So we believe that's one of the reasons he was so successful yeah. is because he didn't give off that aura, like stay away from me. Plus, he was so um, 
calculated and he planned his body disposal sites before he even selected his victims. What do you make of whether it's uh, BTK or Zodiac? Uh, one, the, the compulsion that so many of these people have for people to know, for people to pay attention, and then the game playing aspect. Oh, yeah. A lot of it is they do want the attention. And, and that's the bad part because they usually do get the attention and they get um, they get a thrill out of that. And I think the part of they wanting everybody to know and then if you want to call it a cat and mouse game, it's to prove how superior they are um, intellectually. And we, we found that when we were interviewing, I say we, my colleagues and I in behavioral science, because we had nothing we could offer them uh, when they were in prison. No stay of execution, not a better prison, no better food. So the only way that we could appeal to them was to their ego. And uh, initially, it was to my surprise that we never had anybody turn us down. They really, yeah, seemed to, they wanted to show how much more they knew than uh, the FBI. Wow. We're talking to Jana Monroe, uh, the author of Hearts of Darkness, Serial Killers, the Behavioral Science Unit, and My Life as a Woman in the FBI. Uh, Jana, uh, when you like today, we had the mother of the Michigan school shooter found uh, guilty of involuntary manslaughter. I'm sorry. Uh, yes. For her part in this, when you watch these school shootings uh, or mass shootings and invariably you're going to have three days of cable news where we find out everything about the, the shooter. When you're watching these, do you watch it and go, well, duh, of course, you don't need me to tell you that this person was a risk. Or is it a little more complicated than that? Well, everything's a little more complicated. But uh, when you do look back and you do some some research on these folks, there are so many red flags. There are so many signs. But they're not always evident to everyone. And because, and it's a good thing that we are um, a nation of laws and liberties, there are the frustration I used to have because, to your point, the duh on some of them, it was so legible to me. It's like this, oh, this kid is going to kill someone, hasn't done it yet. All of the signs are there, but there's nothing in place other than maybe some counseling or something. There's nothing that you can do to restrain that before something has happened. So uh, let's talk about young people. Young people are weird in general. I was weird. You were weird. Everyone's weird. (laughs) And we know the classic, like, well, he started torturing cats and then he this and that. But is there anything that people, and I'm not saying that people in my audience have serial killer kids, but is there anything like that, just even academically, that, yep, this does seem to happen as kids grow up and turn into these kind of people? Well, I think the triad that you were talking about, which is enuresis, bedwetting at a later age, and cruelty to to animals and fire setting, they've been using that for a long time, and that does tend to indicate some aberrant behavior later on, but of course, there's no absolutes. To me, um, looking at if someone is sociopathic or not, not all sociopaths become serial killers, uh, that's for sure, but when you have that tendency, no guilt, no remorse, uh, everything's in it for me. Um, that's a behavior to watch at an early age. Now, jokingly, they could turn into a great CEO or, or a serial killer. So, that's so true. Just, yeah, it, it, it truly is. But I think I think that has been underestimated. I know sometimes narcissism and, and, and someone who's a sociopath are looked at as interchangeable. In my opinion, they're not. Yeah. But it's yeah. something it's it's something to to monitor. Uh, last question. I could talk to you for the whole hour, but we have to go here. Last question. Was Kemper the one who gave you the the creeps the most, or was it someone we haven't even heard of? Uh, there's a guy you haven't even heard of, but Kemper did, um, because he is so bright, 
And because he has such a flat affect and he would try, he knew that that's uh, people who, he knew what the word remorse meant, but of course he couldn't feel it. So his attempts, I have some videos of him, his attempts at trying to act, he, he could never win an Academy Award, but trying to act what we would consider normal so he could get out of, from the parole board. That it was creepy to me, um, just how bright he was. He knew how to, how to manipulate, but he just couldn't execute in, in making it reality. Wow. Uh, Janet Monroe, Janet, please come back sometime. Uh, I hate to say a lot of fun talking to you because of the topic, but it really was just a, a total pleasure. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Probably the first time Matthew Sweet's been played on KMOX. Uh, Sports Wheels, what's going on? You want to do some Super Bowl stuff? Let's do. All right, we're not going to do any Taylor Swift Super Bowl stuff now. Damn it. <laughs> that's the only way I'll pay attention. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a lot of buzz about sports gambling, the NFL, because we're in Vegas, right? And a lot of things have changed in recent years about, you know, basically gambling being okay. I mean, you guys might or might not remember, but for decades, the NFL and all the other sports lobbied against legalizing sports betting until they realized they could make money from doing it. And now that they're making money from it, it's perfectly fine, which of course, but the sports business journal had a report today that 42 million Americans will, will be placing bets on the Super Bowl. Uh, legally, like right? so, using online betting things along those lines, which is a forty-one percent increase from last year. Man, um, and there's a lot of discussion about and like a third of adults. Yeah, and there's right, right, and there's a lot of questions being asked about whether or not this is is new gambling. Like, are they new people that wouldn't be betting if it weren't legal, or is it people that were betting illegally and switching over? And I think the truth is a little bit of both. But I wanted to get into this because I think this is fascinating. So how much do you, how much money would you guys guess? And Andrew doesn't get to answer because he knows. I told him in the office. Mm. How much money would you bet that is is gambled on sports in the United States in, legally in a calendar year? Mm. So, again, the above board stuff, not the guys that have a bookie yeah. down the street, that stuff. Uh, I'll say a solid billion. That's what I was going to say too. Yeah, it's probably getting up on five billion now. Wow! It was four point three billion three years ago, so in twenty twenty one, so two years ago really, because we're just at the end of uh, beginning of twenty four. So it's probably around five billion legal. Let's say double that, ten billion dollars if you count illegal. Maybe maybe fifteen. Who knows? But that's the the amount that's being bet on sports. How much do you guys think is bet? Is I shouldn't say even bet because it's not put that way. How much do you think Americans spend in total on lottery tickets each year? Individually, like no, overall? like total, oh, like total, totals. like like this. So, sports betting, let's call it ten yeah. billion with counting illegal. It's five billion ish legally. Let's double it at least because I know there's a lot of illegal betting going yeah. on still. So let's say it's ten billion dollars on sports. Um, I would say five billion. Rich, I really have no idea. It's a hundred eight billion dollars. Wow. So wow. what what is striking to me is. Because the sports betting being legal is new, you've got so many people in a panic about it. Like, are are young men getting addicted? Are they betting money that they shouldn't? Yes, that's happening. That is absolutely happening. And it's a problem that we should probably be trying to solve. But the solution isn't necessarily get rid of legal gambling. Because that would, that would be like arguing the solution to drunken driving is making alcohol illegal. And we know that didn't work when we tried it. But... I think what gets ignored is how many people spend money on lottery tickets that can't afford to. And very obviously, 
$108 billion is a lot more than what's being bet on sports. I mean, if we're going just by what's bet legally on sports, that is more than 20 times yeah. the amount. If it's a problem, that's the bigger national problem. Well, this is my, yes, exactly. So why does it come down? Is it because it's new? I mean, is it is that why we focus on the harms and the worries no, about I, like I marijuana use Americans as opposed to alcohol? Are really good at picking and choosing what's acceptable vices and what's unacceptable vices, right? And I think that's kind of what's happened because, here. like, if you think about it logically, if I bet on a football game, I basically have a fifty percent chance of being right or better. Right, depending if, on if how much knowledge I have. Right, right. But I mean, just a random person, you're just flipping a coin. You got a fifty percent chance. I have no chance of winning with that lottery ticket, statistically speaking. Like, none. Like, 1% of 1%. Yeah, for example, it's like one in a trillion or something. Or is it one in 400 million? To buy a lotto ticket lotto or something. Ticket. Right. Let's say that you're going to bet on the Super Bowl, and the and the line was one in 400 million. No one would bet. <laughs> no. Not one person. No, well, I mean, they might a little. You might bet a dollar because then the odds would be so great you would win a ton of money. But, yeah, I, I think it's just fascinating how what's new is a problem But this bigger thing that causes a lot more issues just isn't discussed. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Two thirty-seven DGS on Camelwax, one of my favorite bands. There, Case Choice, bass player from St. Louis. Shout out, uh, Brad Young joins us now. Hello, Brad. Hey, Dave. So, a couple big things to talk about today. Let's uh, set the Trump immunity uh, 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 appeal aside, and let's talk about the Michigan shooter's mom, Jennifer Crumley, being found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. Take it away. Yeah, essentially, as as you even heard at the at the uh, bottom of the hour, the jury in Michigan found her guilty of four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Now, what that means is, is that because of her negligence, she knew or should have known that her negligence in terms in this here in terms of not providing adequate uh, safety training for her son, not adequately protecting the pistol from being used, and knowing or should have known that he had the proclivity, that being the son, had the proclivity to use that weapon in a way that would harm others, she's guilty of four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Each of those carry a a maximum sentence of about 15 years, 
uh, four students were killed. So we're looking at the potential of 60 years in prison. Of course, that would be subject to good behavior and other things. Uh, but that's what she's looking at right now. So, uh, Brad, as you well know, I was explaining to the audience about an hour ago that uh, in your little uh, first day of being a lawyer packet, when you appeal, you appeal <laughs> Based on uh, uh, having a bad lawyer, ineffective assistance of counsel, and typically those are just laughed at, eyes rolled, thrown away. But in this case, this lady was pretty weird. Uh, Chances of her being successful with that? Boy, those are so rare. And you you nailed it. That ineffective counsel claim really only works whenever uh, enormous amounts of evidence are failed or is failed to be admitted into evidence. So in this instance, I don't know that you would have that. I mean, her attorney basically looked worse than my third year mock trial effort. Agreed. And, and so uh, uh, when I was a third year law student, uh, mock trial, uh, everyone did better than, than this lawyer did. But that in of itself isn't sufficient. So I, I think for her, I don't think that would be successful. Now, you know, this is actually good news for her husband, Jeff, because now Jeff has the ability to argue the empty chair. His his attorney has the has the ability to say, look, someone's already been found guilty of this crime. Mm -hmm. And now you can't hold me responsible because in an involuntary manslaughter charge, the number one defense is somebody else is responsible, not me. So this really does help the husband, father. Jeff, uh, when his case goes to trial in uh, March 15, I believe. So even if he has bad behavior, it can be an effective defense to go like, "Woof, that wife of mine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, he can he can argue the empty chair. In fact, that's the strongest argument. And, and Mrs. Crumbly tried to do the same thing. She tried to say here that the husband was solely in charge of security, of securing the weapon, of teaching safety to the son, even though there was video from the shooting range of the mom teaching the son how to shoot. In this instance, she tried to use the same defense, not very well, uh, but I think it'll work out much better for Mr. Crumbly. And so we had a ruling today in the Court of Appeals on Donald Trump's immunity defense claim, which he wants to say you can't uh, prosecute me at all for January 6th or anything, really, because a United States president under the Constitution has complete immunity. And how did that go? Well, this is one of those things that has to be discussed. Uh, and the phrase I love, Dave, is nuanced, because part of Trump's argument is correct. That is the things that a president does in the uh, furtherance of his or her duties. The president cannot be prosecuted both during office and after office. But that's where the problem comes, because if you look at what was done on January 6th, President Trump's taking the position that he was furthering the duties of the presidency of the United States. But the lower court found, and I think it was accurate, that he was furthering his attempts to remain in office which is different from furthering the duties of the office. Mm. So what the Court of Appeals held today was, is that clearly the the acts of January 6th were not official duties of the president, but were an attempt of Trump's to stay in office. And because of that, he doesn't enjoy the immunity that comes if you're doing official acts. For example, if the president decides to kill an Iranian general, uh, right now, if President Biden kills an Iranian general, that's furthering the interests of the United States 
government and the office of the presidency. He couldn't be prosecuted for that today, tomorrow, or even after office. But if he's doing something on the campaign trail uh, and and does something wrong while he's campaigning for office, that's different. And that's the 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 angle here mm-hmm. that I don't believe is being accurately reported. What Brad, what's the difference if we're talking about carrying out the duties of the office <laughs> when it comes to how laws apply? I mean, international law is different than U.S. law, for example. Yep. So carrying out an act against a foreign entity is a different thing than carrying out an act against somebody who is either an American citizen or an American company, right? That That's true. But, you know, the, the lawyer's favorite word, there is one word, Wheels, that every lawyer absolutely loves, and that word is reasonable, okay? Why do lawyers love the word reasonable? Because you can argue both sides of what reasonable means, all right? No matter what side you're on, you can always say it's reasonable. In this instance, and I give you that as an example, because there is no way to define exactly what are the actions of the office of the presidency. Mm. It's kind of like when Justice Powell in the 70s was deciding on the pornography cases. And he said, you know what? I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it. (laughs) And in this instance, even though you can't define what are the acts of the president as opposed to the acts of running for the office of Mm -hmm. the presidency, I think it falls under that. I know it when I see it. And on January 6th, uh, the court found that President Trump wasn't doing anything presidential. He was trying to stay in office, which is, in effect, campaigning. So um, (laughs) I want to use the word obviously, but maybe I'm wrong that the president, the former president will appeal this again, maybe try to go to the Supreme Court. What do you think the likelihood is that the Supreme Court takes this? And if they (laughs) don't take it, is this the good law if they say not we're not interested i uh, absolutely trump will appeal it to the supreme court but i don't believe uh that the justices will take it here's why Uh, under the courts it's called the certiorari rule under the certiorari rule the four supreme court justices have to agree to hear a case before it can be heard by the entire court. Now, that rule of four is so even if you have a minority of justices, you can still bring up something. It doesn't have to be a majority. But in this instance, as I look at the makeup of the court, particularly with Amy Coney Barrett and with uh, Justice Roberts, I don't think that either one of those are going to want to define. They're not going to want to draw that line as to what is the office of the presidency and what calculate or what constitutes campaigning. I just don't see them wanting to define that. And if it's six to three against granting certiorari for this, then it doesn't go to the Supreme Court. And to answer your second question, Dave, Mm -hmm. then yes, if this doesn't go to the Supreme Court, this would be the controlling legal authority on this type of an issue. Brad, maybe I'm wrong, but if I'm Donald Trump or his attorneys, I may not want the Supreme Court to take this up because they might make a finding that hurts me way worse than this. Oh, they certainly could. But at this point, I I think Trump's gambit is twofold. He wants to assert immunity because if he can assert a a broad sense of immunity, that gets him out of almost every criminal situation that he's in, except for the documents case. So uh, it, it would really give him a get out of jail card free. And I think at this point, it's a Hail Mary. And I Mm -hmm. do think that he's going to want to get it because even a bad decision doesn't put him in a worse position than he's in today. However, after saying that, I just don't see uh, that uh, that the Supreme Court is going to take this case. 
You're the best. Thank you, Brad. We appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. And one more thing. Yeah. I just want you to know the Crumbly trial, the verdict came back after lunch. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> they got the go. Just saying. 252 DGS on KMOX. Rach. I have a question for Wheels. All right. Because yes. he's... Andrew shops at Costco from time to time, but I feel like Wheels is the resident Costco dude. Yeah, that's fair. I saw this video. A woman actually put, like made it as a joke and posted it of herself, but I wanted to know what would your thoughts be if you saw this lady at Costco. She got there before all of the samples were open, and so she just sat around like huffing and puffing and waiting for the samples to open up. Like, what are you doing if you see a person behaving this way? On a weekend, it's busy at Costco. We probably have uh, cart collisions. <laughs> I, mm. I love Gentle it. ones at first. You know, just like a little tap. Like, hey, there's other people here. And then after that, whatever. I have not uh, taken part in this uh, regalia. Describe it, it to me. So, I mean, imagine the grocery store that you would go to yeah. at its most crowded. Right. There are people everywhere. And Costco, that's the weekends. It's mm-hmm. packed. Mm-hmm. Now, again, they have lots of checkout lanes. You can move around relatively quickly, but there are sample things on all the end caps or on a lot of the end caps. You can get these, taste these crackers or this dip or this, here's some chicken tenders that we have on sale this week. And you can have it. And yeah, people will. Li- all of them. Yeah. And look, there are people that do that. They go there. That's their lunch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just go to every one of them or, or go to every one of them. But what they do sometimes is. They just stop in the middle of the aisle, which means nobody else around yeah. you can move. And then everybody that wants that sample does the same thing, and it's just awful. But what are they stopping to do? Eat? To, to yeah, oh, what is that? Oh, chicken, what kind of chicken is in that chicken tender? Gotcha. Oh, okay. Can I try that? Eat your free food, Hoosier. Could move I, on. Could I, take a, could, I take, could I take another one? And then they do the same routine on the next one. Ah. Oh, what's in that whole grain cracker? Seven grains. Wow. Because the person behind the counter thing that's doing it, they got a spiel that's memorized. And they're yeah. like, come on over, check out the cracker, seven different kinds of grains. You guys will get all the nutritional value. Like, they're doing this. And then the people are coming up and asking them questions and eating and taking more than one. I'm guilty of that. <sighs> oh, you're a talker. I, I'm a talker because I feel like I have to. Like, I can't just walk up and, and grab with both hands the, like, chicken dumpling they're handing me. Yes, or you can. Like, I've got it. No, I'm I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be a human. I am, too. I grab it. I'm like, hey. be a debate. I'm like, you have, take like, that sample and you I'm keep on walking human. and you say hear. to the lady, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. I want to hear how many grains are in the seven <laughs> grain chip. Seven cracker and i want to and i want to eat the cracker and i want to go mm. you're also the guy that'll drive in the left lane slow thank you for the cracker ma'am it's well, yummy here's where we're we're in a conflict here andrew are you going to buy the cracker or are you just more than likely not okay <laughs> but you feel like you have to engage because you feel like that's the nice thing to do uh, but i feel like i, feel like I should engage and I, and I have bought you should have been a lawyer. Yeah. She's so right. That is your replacement for buying the product. Oh, we, we don't know what she's going to say well, yet. No, what I was going to say is you, you're doing it because you think it's the nice thing to do. But is it really the nice thing to do to let them do their whole spiel if you're not actually going to buy the product? Yeah. I, I've bought the product before. No, I'm not. I'm. This is no. This is just like a conceptual like, well, should you make them go through the spiel if you have a if you have a no like well, desire to buy the, the product? The, the point of it is not to make them go through the spiel the point is just like if you're if i'm taking free food from you that you're offering me i feel like i need to 
yeah. charm a little bit. You say yeah, thank you. you need to like give something in to, return. Yeah, you say yes. thank you and you smile you at them. You need to charm the dumpling lady. Yeah. yeah I need but to also, just, I need to make sure that she knows that I really appreciate this dumpling. What about and I the, would appreciate another one, too, if you got what about one. The, what, about the, uh, oh d- what about the 50 to 100 other people around you that are all being, like, traffic jammed because... We gotta yeah, have this long thing, interaction. Andrew? Go around, Dingus. You're a grown man. Can't go around when there's Figure nowhere to go. Come on, buddy. Meanwhile, Kevin just ramming his cart into Andrew's. Not, like, yeah. Oh, if it was Andrew's cart, it's getting smushed. The answer is not physically strike someone, Kevin. <laughs> I didn't say I'd physically strike anybody. I'm gonna ram. No, the cart. I said I'm going. There's going to be contact. There's a cart difference. Contact. Yeah, I mean, I've used not cart contact. It works. Just that little bit of noise. Somebody will be like, "Oh, sorry, I didn't realize I was being inconsiderate in, well, in the way of like everybody." You've already solved your problem. Well, I mean, the problem is there's too many people. If you do it to everyone, it's gonna be a problem. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.